Anyway, brand new year. Um, and I, I do think every... It should almost be a weekly thing, to be honest, but a, a brand new year does give us a, an opportunity to reset, to rethink, to, to remember, to, to think about the things that are important to us. And, and, and today I want to, if I can, I want to unpack or talk about things that I've talked about before, but to talk about one particular thing that's really important to this house, the DNA of this house, and that's that we're a safe place for all people. And if we're going to move into a new year, we need to remember that, that we need to be a safe place for all people. That means that we have to be people of grace. Yeah? We have to exude grace. We have to exude forgiveness. We have to exude acceptance and love. That should be pouring out from us, especially in this place. You know, I, I've shared this many times, and I, I share it again because some of you may not ever have heard it, but um, it's just a wonderful picture of, of this house, the, what God has placed in this house. And I remember Ross sharing years and years ago, but it's still for me every day, even I share it with new people, that there was a time in that young man's life, you know, our bass player, one of our worship leaders, one of our elders, where he was a part of another church. And so many of us have got histories in other churches. And it was, there was no issue with the other church, but they used to do a wonderful thing and they used to help out here when this was a, a fle fledging church, a younger church. They used to send worship team here to help out, you know. And yet Ross would openly share that in those days, and we're going back a long time ago, in those days he didn't like coming here. Remember, we're a safe place for all people. Because what he discovered and what he found, it wasn't like the house that he was in. When he got here, it was really eclectic and there was a lot of brokenness and people looked different, smelt different, worshipped different. He, he actually describes it that he had a picture. And, and, and for me, this isn't a bad picture. I actually hold on to this because for, for me, it, it's foundational vision of the church. But that this house was like a river where you've got water flowing beautifully, yeah? just flows, comes around the bend in the current, it keeps be this beautiful water that flows. But if you know anything about rivers, especially when they flood, when you've got a bend in the river like that, all the rubbish, all the, 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 the shape, the crap, I don't know what word you want to use that's in the river, ends up on that bend. The water keeps flowing, but all the rubbish sort of washes up there. And he never liked coming here because that's how he and probably others saw this church. Until the day came when he was one of those people that ended up here. Because the reality and truth is that we are a safe place for all people. And over the years, we've had different people come and go, different shapes and sizes, sometimes slightly different beliefs, sometimes slightly different lifestyles. And yet our role is not to judge people, but to create a safe place for people so they can feel accepted, find a place where they belong and thus discover the Lord, yeah? And so that's where I want to go today. So Father, bless that today in some way in Jesus' name, amen? So I, I'm, I, I'm going to say that I'm, I'm going to talk more and have a conversation, which is what I hope for, but who knows? So Luke 7, verse 36 to 50, we're going to read, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Before I even move on, I want to say right then, if someone asks you out for dinner, whether it's in their home, especially if it's in their home, or whether it's out, it's a really special thing. Yeah, it's an important thing. Open your home to people. It speaks volumes. They say that a, a picture is worth more than a thousand words. Open your home and see what that does. Anyway, so Jesus went to 
his home, one of the Pharisees, and sat down to eat, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him. I, I, I almost want to throw in there, it's not part of my message, but expensive perfume. When you open your home, you do what you can do depending on your finance and your budget. But if you invite me, don't go the cheap sausages, all right? Get the expensive one, all right? Anyway, a jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. This is really important. Then she kept, kept. Because that word kept, the Greek tense, is, it's an actually an ongoing. There's an ongoing tense in that word kept. Yeah? It's present, but it's ongoing. It's not just a welcome and goodbye. It's a continual act of love. Yeah? Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. If we're to be totally honest, somewhere in our Christian life, whether it's this house or another house, have we ever met a Christian, met a person that's walked into church and had one of those thoughts that Jesus just saw into? Oh my gosh. Oh geez. Really? Just a thought, just throwing it out there. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? You should underline those two words, after that. After that. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus says. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. This is what I love. He sees it. He knows it. He knows the stuff that we've done. He knows where we're trapped at times. He says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have, past tense, have been forgiven. I love it. He's already done it. Yeah, he's already done it. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, and he says to her, says to us, says to all of us in the room, those listening at home, yeah? Your faith has saved you, go in peace. You know, today, I believe more than any other, other time, particularly with what's happening around the world at the moment, people are looking for peace. They're searching for peace. People will jump into planes and they'll fly to locations looking for peace. 
They'll go to monasteries. They, they will go to places of worship because people are looking for peace. Yeah? People were looking for a place where they can meditate and find peace. But, but peace isn't stillness. Peace is something, it's not even an inner stillness no, that, that can help. Peace itself is the one who calms the storm. Peace that people are looking for, the peace that people need, the peace that you and I should be experiencing that goes beyond our right to understand. Beyond understanding, it means we give up our right to understand that. Yet in that, that thing that we don't get, we have peace anyway, is Jesus. It's Jesus. So I love Luke chapter 7 because we get this picture that's painting and, and we find Jesus and he's having dinner at Simon's house. It's really important that they talk about it's a Pharisee's house because you've got to understand all the stuff that's going on in that place to fully understand the story. It's really important that when you go to a church and you make it your home, that you understand the DNA of that house, that you know its heartbeat, what it loves, where, what it wants to you know, do, where it wants to go. Because let's face it, every church, there's so many in Ballarat. They reckon there's 68 to 72 registered churches in Ballarat. I'm sure they're not all open. Yeah? But at every church, they have one thing in common, Jesus. Yeah? Jesus came, he died and rose again, and yet the DNA in every house is different. The feel in every house is different. I love my home much more than my mother's home, yet when my boys go to my mum's home, and the ha- it's the same house that she's lived in all her life, where I, I grew up in, Sa- Samuel and Nathan, but particularly Sam goes, I love Nonna's house. Why? It's homely, has a feel, has an atmosphere, has a DNA. So you need to know the DNA of the place that you call home, yeah? You need to know that. It's important to know that. Because let's face it, so many of us have got so many... We, got, we come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different churches, yeah? Different ways that we express ourselves, even different belief systems. I mean, I think when I first started going to... I was brought up Catholic, so there were, it was always there. But I think even as I... I moved and got saved as a young man. Who remembers singing worship songs or hymns from a book? You remember that? That was awesome. Turn to number, whatever number it was, yeah? And then then the church got outrageous. Slides, overhead projectors. What is this evil? (laughs) You know, like, we want our book. But don't worry about the book, just look on the screen, Yeah? And then and then they got really like technology kicked in and then we get projectors and then they just put the words on the screen and then if you go to even churches that are probably a little, a a tad more affluent, you know, a bit more financial, they'll still have the words on the screen but it won't be through a projector. They'll have this huge LED screen. Have you seen that? Technology. We've all got different experiences at different places, yeah? Some places love the natural light. Some love the smoke and mirrors. You know? Some love the, the, you know, those LED lights that come through the smoke and give it an atmosphere. It's really good at a concert, good at a youth concert. It's good fun. But all different. We've grown up so different. You know? we, we've been to churches where pastors just talk very softly and they, they don't leave. They just stand here and they... Oh, gosh, I can't do I don't even know what to say next without moving. You know, 
You've got others that are totally always screaming. Then you've got those that have got, and Jesus! You know, you ever heard those preachers on TV? Like, oh, come on, man, it's just, just cut the word short. He came and he uh, died. Oh, my God, stop it, stop it! You know, you, and then you've got people that sweat. That's why I wear dark colours, you can't see it. Right? Then you've got others that, that, that just weep, and, I, and I, I'm one of those people that constantly cries when in the presence of God as he speaks to me and I speak to you. It's always different. One's not better than the other, it's just different. So it's important to know the house that you're in. It's important to know the house that Jesus is in, amen? Because Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. He's at somebody's house. And, and poor, the poor Pharisees, they, they often get a, they get a bum rap. People don't speak highly of the, the Pharisees. They get, I think they're unfairly judged to some degree. Because you know, generally we think they're a bit horrible, judgmental. And, and yes, they were, but they weren't always. That's not what they were supposed to be. You know, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the people that everyone wanted to be. You know, if you could be one of the disciples of one of the rabbis, that was huge. And if you made it along the journey, because they kept culling, it's like trying out for a football team. They keep culling numbers along the way, you know. If you, and only the best remain. That's what it was like back then, to be a disciple of one of the rabbis, yeah, one of the Pharisees. They followed all the laws. They followed all the rules, all the regulations. They were the, they were the type of people that others would look to them and say, certainly they have the perfect life. They mustn't do anything wrong. I, I, I think they're probably, they're probably close to sinless, you know. That, that's how people looked at them, you know. They followed everything. They've done everything right since they were little boys. And people just looked up to them. The problem, the problem, though, with some of the Pharisees is that they began to judge others. We are so good. And you are all so miserable. You're all so wicked. Look at us, yeah? That's what, that's what happened. It was never, it was never supposed to, to be like that. Look how bad you're living. They put everyone down. And, and I would go as far as to say, that's, that's, it's almost religious. It's not God. It's not relationship it, it, it's a it's a religious type spirit that says you're not doing enough you're not good enough you should be doing what i'm doing yeah but when that's the base of your relationship with god and how well you're doing that's a really bad place to be you know and these are the people that are at this house people that push rules on people imagine having to live a life have we followed all the rules have we done what's right Oh, gosh, during the worship service, did I lift up a hand? Did I, did I lift up two? Did I, did I have my hand up? Was I holding on to... I'm not sure what I did. Oh, gosh, certainly if I, if I worship with two hands, certainly God would have seen that, probably loves that more than if I worship with one hand. I'm sure that he would love me more if I, if I worship with both hands. Oh, gosh, but at least if it was one hand. But I, I think I saw the person behind me. They didn't have their hands lifted at all, so God would have been pleased with me because at least I had, I had one hand up. When you, when you start to look at all the things that you need to do, all the rules and the regulations, what you have done, what you haven't done, yeah, all in the hope that God's pleased, 
This is what the Pharisees were doing to people. If you do all of this stuff, God will be happy with you. But if you don't, we won't be happy with you, neither will God. It was a horrible place. It became about the stuff that they did because I guess that religious type spirit is all about step by step by step by step by step. These are all the steps that you have to follow. And if you follow them all, then maybe I, on, I'll speak on his behalf. God will love you then. He'll accept you then. Oh, one hand, was it? Okay. All right. Let me just write that down. One hand. <laughs> the problem with rules is you can't have a relationship with rules. I can't put rules on my wife no more than she can put rules on me. I can't put rules on you no more than you can put rules on me. We can't have, yeah, a relationship if it's based on rules. God never said to us, follow the rules for your salvation. He never said that, did he? And the Pharisees, these Pharisees, they, they invite Jesus over for dinner. And, and, and you, what you've got to understand in those days, dinner parties were huge, particularly if you're invited to a dinner party. That was a, that was a huge deal, like a, a huge deal. There was an open open atmosphere you could see them it's almost like an outside party an outdoor you know like cafes have outdoor settings it was like that because they wanted to be seen and if you were seen at that party that was huge and oh look oh they must be oh they're well off they they must be the pharisees there like they're having a party and there would be these conversations as they sat back and had servants serving them they'd just be talking well i don't know what they talked about it certainly wasn't the football because they didn't have anything as wonderful as that then and there was other Pharisees there. And here they are in this house, the DNA of that house, judgmental. And who walks in? <laughs> an uninvited guest. Ever had an uninvited guest? There's a difference between an uninvited guest and an uninvited guest. Yeah, there's a difference. Because one, it's like you weren't invited, but okay. And there's others like, Oh gosh, now what? They're, in our Bible study that we were doing recently in our friendship group, um, Louis Giglio told a story and, and it's the perfect picture of an uninvited guest. He's having dinner with his wife, finally got out for this, you know, romantic dinner and there's a table that's having dinner next to them and as they're leaving, one of them sees him and goes, you're Louis Giglio. Oh my goodness. I, I've watched your messages. Comes over to the table. I... I I, I, I actually, I've been to your church. I love your stuff. It's so good. Oh, my good. Louis Giglio, this is so good. Oh, and, oh, and oh, I'm just having a dinner with my wife. Oh, that's nice. Louis, I can't believe it that I'm here with you. Louis, this is, that's an uninvited guest, yeah? Right there. You ever had one of those? Like, okay, stay for the barbecue then. Have we got enough? Don't worry, I won't eat. We'll give it to them, you know? And an uninvited guest rolls up to this house. And, oh, gosh. The right uninvited guest is good, but an uninvited guest normally <laughs> comes because there's something in it for them. Yeah, that, that example, that person, all of it, they're with a, all, a famous preacher. I can get... And the story goes on. This guy gets up and leaves, and Louis says... And, 
finally I thought, oh, wow, awesome. Now I can sit here with, I don't know what his wife's name, I can't remember. Now we're going to start talking. And the guy comes back in after leaving and he goes, oh, maybe he's left his keys on his table. And he comes over and he goes, the others have gone. I just thought I could sit and chat. And he just plonks himself there, right? Man, that's uninvited, isn't it? And here, here, in this house with Pharisees, this judgmental house, we have this uninvited guest. And, and then the Bible does something that doesn't happen all the time, but it shocks me a little bit. It shocked me because the Bible gives you some details. Why, why didn't the Bible just say that, and a woman rolled up? But no, no, the Bible has to tell us that it was an immoral woman. Like, this is so important that I've got to tell you as I write this story in here, as I share this, that there's an immoral woman. There's a reason for that because if the Bible has a nerve to say that she was immoral, it could have said that she was uninvited. It could have said that she was a woman in the wrong place at the wrong time. It could have, it could have been written like that, but no, no, it says that she was immoral. And in Jesus' day, for a woman to barge in, yeah, where there are teachers and, and Pharisees, where Jesus was, they would have been like, what the heck are you doing here? You don't, you don't belong here. You, you shouldn't be here. This One, it's against protocol. Two, it's against societal norms. You're breaking all the rules just from being there. And then it could have said something really soft, but no, she's immoral. She's a prostitute. She's in a judgmental home, remember? Yeah? A woman who sold her body for money. A point's being made. She wasn't just an uninvited guest. She was an uninvited guest. Yeah? She's already been ostracized by society and now she's walked into a house that's really judgmental. The DNA of that place, yeah? And then she has the audacity after she walks in. It says that she let down her hair. That means she untied it. I don't think it was a shampoo commercial. I don't think it was all flowing and glowing after a nice condition. She lets down her hair in that house, in that place, and she begins weeping at the feet of Jesus. Man, she must have had an encounter there. She starts weeping at the feet of Jesus and starts to wash his feet with those tears. That's not just a, my, your eyes welling up. This is a sobbing. This is an ugly cry. Yeah, I've talked about ugly cries before, yeah? Ever seen your partner do an ugly cry? Like, there's a reason we call it an ugly cry. Like, it's, it's not like, <laughs> it's just like, it's, ah, an ugly cry is ugly. She must have been ugly crying, and she begins to wash his feet, and then she dries them with her hair. Then she gets the alabaster jar, and she cracks it open, this expensive perfume. Now, you've got to think about it. This perfume... This could have been the stuff that she used on her body to make herself smell lovely for her work, yeah? Think about it. The perfume that she may have used 
to attract men, the type of perfume. This could have been the perfume and definitely was the perfume that she bought with money from being an immoral woman. Here she is in this Pharisaical, Pharisee home, judgmental home as the uninvited, uninvited guest and uses the very thing that she would have used to spruce herself up probably on Jesus. What is she doing? She's putting it on Jesus' feet. I can only imagine the scene. She's immoral. The Pharisees and everyone there knows what she does for a living. She's not an administrative assistant. She's not a sales rep. She's not a barista. Or as they say in America, what do they say? Barista. What a barista. There's no E's in the word. It's an I. It's barista. We've got something we can teach them, don't we? And her hair's down, she's weeping and crying, she's kissing his feet. And all the religious, they're now becoming really uncomfortable. And this is where you and I have got to learn. We've got to learn from this because they start becoming so uncomfortable, they aren't saying anything, but they're thinking something. They're not saying anything, but they're thinking something. So much so that Jesus picks up on Simon's thoughts, doesn't he? Haven't we been there at some party? Something's happening. You know, it's not, you're not sure if it's kosher. It's uncomfortable. And you start thinking something. Anybody? Come on, seriously. Man, I could think that if I'm over your place for dinner. I'd be like, what's that? No, I would never do that. You know, you look at your spouse. They look at you. And you've already spoken. Haven't shared any words but the same thoughts have transmitted in the air, haven't they? Like, you know, something's going on. You know, someone walks into church that looks different. Someone walks into church that speaks different, that smells different, that's a different color skin, different ethnicity, eats different foods. Maybe they've got an addiction. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're overweight. Maybe they're underweight. Maybe their teeth are falling out. Maybe their shoes have got holes in it. Maybe their jeans have got... Holes in it, not because it's fashion. Hair is undone, it's unkept. And you say nothing, you may even smile. But inside you're thinking something. We're supposed to be, and I believe we are, but we need to be reminded and sometimes reset that we are a safe place for all people. Yeah? I'm simply suggesting that I think we've all been there. We say nothing, but we think something in our eyes, and eyes say everything. But we can't be like that. Not here. Not at Family Life Church. You can be like that at the IGA. You thought I was going to pick another church, didn't you? Nah. <laughs> I won't do that on camera. <laughs> you know, the Pharisees' thinking was crazy. You know, Simon's thinking was crazy. And he says in his thoughts, verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Obviously, he's thinking he's, he can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would know. So obviously, he's not a prophet because if he was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Ooh, don't, oh, don't touch me. I just love Jesus here. 
Because right here, Jesus does the unthinkable. And I shared this with a brother this morning. He lets her closer to him in that moment than everyone else at that party. Everyone else that was invited to that dinner. At that moment, he knew who she was. He knew what she had done. He knew the Pharisees knew. He knew their thoughts. And yet, he let her closer than anybody else that was there. That's powerful. That's grace right there. And yet, then he jumps and he goes, knowing his thoughts, Simon's thoughts, he just turns around and he says, Simon, let me tell you a story, my friend. Yeah? And verse 41 and 42 says, Then Jesus told him this story. A man land a moment <laughs> get it out. A man loaned money. I did this recently with chuckens. While well, the son was laughing at me because I said chuckens instead of chickens. I was trying to say chook and I said chicken. And when I went to say chickens, I said chuckens. Gosh, I am 53. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to, a, to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simple story, short story. There was a debt that was forgiven, a debt that could never be paid, never be paid. This is a debt that can never be paid. Because the significance of this story in Jesus' day is if there's no way to pay a debt that you owe, there is one way still to pay the debt that you owe. And that is really simple. You become a slave, a servant for the person that you owe that debt to. But not just you, but your whole family, including your spouse and your children, not until the debt is paid, for it's forever. It's not like today, I owe you 100 bucks, I might be your slave until I pay you $100, I'll mow your lawns, I'll do that. And when, we, when we're square, we're square, but not in that day. In that day, if you couldn't pay, then I become your servant, and the only way they, that debt is paid is I just serve you for the rest of my life, and so does my wife, so does my husband, so do my kids. Forever. For life, we can't have overlooked that because this man says, I'm going to cancel that debt, that lifetime debt. I'm going to cancel everything that made that's what happened on the cross. I mean, the debt has been paid for our life, and if it wasn't paid, we were in debt forever. It's what the world doesn't get. We're in debt forever because we can't pay it. Our kids are in debt forever because we can't pay. He had to send Jesus. And this man says, I'm going to cancel that debt, that lifetime debt. I'm going to cancel everything that may come against you. You're not going to have to serve me. You're not going to have to live in my house. Your family won't have to come and serve us. You're going to be totally released forever. I mean, how do you react to that? How do you respond when you receive such a gift? When the forgiveness is so huge, how do you respond to that? The mortgage that you can't pay that your kids were probably going to pick up when you left them the house, who knows how it works? That's totally going to be paid forever. In one moment, how would we respond? And the truth is, I actually believe some Christians don't know how to respond because they can't imagine it. I believe that. 
there is no response because they can't, they can't imagine it. And yet, for me, that, that, that song, Gratitude, it so captures that thought. I've got nothing else that's worthy of a king. But because I understand the debt that you paid for me, then I'm just going to lift up my hands and worship you. Yeah? How would you respond when you got it? See, some people, if you don't understand the debt that was paid, you go back to sinning. If you don't understand the debt that was paid, you go back to the very thing that made the debt in the first place. Yeah? And if you don't understand the extent of the forgiveness, then you can never extend it to everyone. Well, we're supposed to be a safe place for all people. I'll be a safe place for most. Gosh, that just pushes my buttons. I don't know if I can go there. See, that, that's the issue right there. If we don't have an attitude of gratitude for what's been given, if we don't fully comprehend it, we'll never be able to show the grace that was shown us. And so here Jesus asks a really simple, but it, it's a penetrating question. He goes, Simon, who do you think is going to love more? Or, or Simon, who, who do you think will be more grateful? That's what, he's, that's what he's asking. Now, Simon's a Pharisee, so he's not stupid. It's not silly. He's a very smart man, and, and he... He hedges his bets. Who do you think, Simon? Oh, well, I suppose. <laughs> Gosh, he doesn't even come straight out, does he? He just goes, I suppose. Whenever anyone starts an answer with I suppose, they're saying, I'm going to tell you what I think, but if it's wrong, that's okay because I'm only supposing so I can't get into trouble. That's what they're saying, right? They're having an each-way bet. And Simon answers, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most will be the most grateful or will be the one that loves more. And Jesus answers him by saying, that's right, that's correct, Simon. The one who's forgiven more will love much. Then Jesus does something. He says, Simon, listen to me. And as he speaks to Simon, he speaks about the woman. And it's right there that Simon starts to be able to compare his life, her story. It's right there that the understanding that the story, it's not just a story. It's not just a parable. It's right here that helps us to understand that the story is actually a mirror to reflect who we are. Yeah? It's right here that we understand that parables are to reflect who we are in the story. Are we Simon the Pharisee? Or are we the woman? Can we be Jesus? When I came here, he says to Simon, you gave me what's required. In other words, you allowed me in. You put cushions out, chairs out, had the air conditioning on, you know. You did the, the things that were nice. There was food for me. You did what was required because you invited me and I was a guest. But she went beyond that. She did what wasn't required. She hasn't stopped kissing me since I've come in. You didn't kiss me. Very normal back then, and in European cultures, to kiss men. Yeah? You invited me, and that's good. You did what was required, but she hasn't stopped. You didn't give me water for my feet, but her tears have washed my feet. And then she dried them with her hair. You didn't even give me olive oil for my head when I came in from the sun. Stephen O'Day probably recognises the importance of that. I shouldn't say that in public, Stephen, I love you. But she's not stopped anointing me with perfume. Look, if it's, 
I don't know whether my kids think I'm going bald. I don't think I am. But I got a new cap for Christmas, yeah, which is really cool. But you know what it says across the front? Nonno, which is grandfather in Italian. Like, hello, yeah, let me just go out with my new cap. Nonno walking down the street. Like, hello, if I'm going to wear a cap with nonno, I think I need... But if the girls are watching, I loved it. To my grandson, Benedetto, I love the hat. so nice. I love it. Anyway, here's the point to this message. It's Luke 7, 47. Jesus now says, I tell you, her sins. Jesus didn't debate that she had sin, yeah? He actually goes on to say that she's got many sins. So he knew her, yeah? I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. I want you to see this, because in the story that Jesus told Simon, he asked Simon, who is going to love more after that? Who's going to love more? The, the two words, after that. Yeah? The after that, what's the after that? After the event took place. After that. After that. The creditor forgave the debt. So after something was done, then there was an act after that. After that, there was this initiation of something by an act of forgiveness. After that, the, the creditor had forgiven both their debts. Yeah, They had owed him something, yet after that, he forgave them their debts. And Jesus is saying, now that he has forgiven both, who is going to love more? And verse 33, Verse 47 says, Now that her many sins have been forgiven, she has shown me much love. The point I want to emphasize is that forgiveness, always, you've got to understand this. This is not God to us, but us to others. Forgiveness always precedes love, the other person's love. Because if you can't show someone forgiveness, if you can't show someone grace, they will never be able to express their love and appreciation. Jesus forgave us. God forgave us. Through his love, he sent his son. But it was that act of forgiveness, yeah, that was motivated by his love that then, because we were shown much forgiveness, now we can love. Forgiveness comes before love. Love doesn't bring forgiveness. Forgiveness comes first. Yeah? Man, there's a, there's a conundrum right there, isn't it? How can I forgive someone that I don't love? Well, hold on. If you're waiting to love someone before you forgive them, you may never forgive them. How about you just forgive them and then love them? Or how about you just do both at the same time? Who do you suppose loved him more after that? After that. When we fully understand all that we've been forgiven of, we can't help after that but love in return. But love in return. You know, I'm emphasizing that because we're taught if we do the right things, show the right things, God will love us, you know? If we help the poor, if we give money to charity, then God will love us in return. But it's not like that. It's not then that he chooses to forgive us. Culture would teach us that. Religion would teach us that. But Christianity and this house is not like that. doesn't matter how someone walks in. We're going to show them grace anyway. Yeah? It doesn't matter what they've done. We may set safe boundaries because that's correct and we have to do that at times, but we're going to forgive them. And because of the forgiveness they receive, they then love back. You know, the forgiveness may come from our love, but we show them forgiveness so that they can love back. Do you understand how that works? 
And here's the key, because if we don't get this, we'll become people working for or working through our salvation. It just will never, it'll never pan out after that. Who is going to love more? Because her sins have been forgiven, now she has shown me great love. Some people don't understand why I can get carried away in church. And now I'm, I've got to finish up because I'm over time by a minute. Some don't understand why people can get loud in church. Yeah? You know, you may be sitting even today next to someone in church that's loud. You could be sitting in the worship service somewhere and people are worshipping. Someone raises a hand. Someone raises two. The person next to you does that. And you're going, oh gosh, no deodorant today. You know, but they're worshipping. You know, others are singing and they can't hold a tone, a melody. They're off key. You know, are you Lord God? Oh my, you know, they're singing. You're thinking, oh gosh, at least. But these people, they're worshipping. And you know what we don't understand? We don't know what they've been forgiven of. We don't know what they've been through. You go to some churches and everyone's there so quiet because they're so afraid to worship the God that's forgiven them and loved them. We don't know. We don't know that that person that's singing with all of their heart, that, that speaks different. We don't know that they've been to rehab after rehab after rehab and then finally God heals them and they can't help every Sunday. Like I remember my daughter. I love it when even when Chris is here, he comes to the front and he just worships. We don't know what they've been through. But in our heads we're thinking, what the heck's going on here? We don't know. But they've been shown so much forgiveness they love much. Don't ever look at someone and think, oh gosh, what's going on? They're just loving the best that they can. The story that Jesus told, he said, after that, because the after that, it's after sin, after we've sinned, after we've blown it, after we've stuffed up, after we've made mistakes, after that, God still steps towards us. God, even, 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 In Genesis, oh my goodness, even in Genesis when Adam and Eve totally fluff up, yeah, they totally stuff it. And then it says in Genesis that God comes out and he goes, where are you? He's God. He knows, you know. It's like when you play hide and seek with your kids. Oh, where are you, Johnny? I know where Johnny is. I knew where Samuel was and Nathan was, but I'm going to pretend. God goes, where are you? Anyway, they're naked. What do they do? They make leaves and they try to cover themselves up. And it says that God makes skins for them. Even after they stuffed up, God kills an innocent animal to cover their shame. After that, after that. As we go into the new year, after that, because before that is us. Before that is what we've done. Before that is what we're still trapped in. Before that is what we're imprisoned by. But after that, it's all God. After that, it's all Him. It's him stepping towards us. It's him forgiving us. And when we grab hold of that forgiveness, man, then, then who's going to love more? Why don't we stand? (laughs) It's after that. After you've done something you said you would never do, it's always, always about the after that. Not the before act. God's grace lives in the after that. God's love lives in the after that. God's forgiveness lives in the after that. This house, Family Life Church, to be a safe place for all people to be restored and revealed for his glory, we need to live in the after that.
We need to be a people that embrace the after that, that, that embrace the grace, that are able to forgive so that someone can love. The love doesn't earn forgiveness. But when they realize what they've been forgiven of, they can't help but love the same way we are with our Father. I don't know about you, but as we move into the new year, 2024, I want to be a person that lives in the after that. I want to be a person that in this house, it's a safe place. And it doesn't matter who comes in off the street. You know, I had a lovely, lovely, lovely conversation recently, just even a funeral that I've done for a lovely family that went through a really tough time. Now, some of you might not agree with this, and that's okay. Maybe you're religious, I don't know. But this lovely woman who doesn't come to church, while we were meeting, I've got to organize a funeral, yeah? Drops a couple of wonderful bombs in vocabulary. An S here, something else there. And then she goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm not allowed to do that. Now, close your ears if you don't want to hear it. I looked at her and I go, why the F? Not. She goes, you just swore. I go, absolutely I did. I didn't think you were allowed. She goes, it doesn't matter what I do. I choose not to. Oh, 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 you know what? They're now my friends. Because I just chose to forgive and love. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Some of you think, oh, you're a, you're a pastor. You can't use the F word. My goodness, don't be next to me when a hammer hits my thumb. Yeah? These days, if I walk into the chicken coop and I notice that there's something on the bottom of my shoe, that's getting close now. <laughs> Point is, we forgive and we love. And when we do that, people, people are just attracted to the love of God. Yeah? Let's be a safe place in 2024 for all people, yeah? So they can be restored and revealed for His glory. Yeah. Father, thank you for this day, God. We thank you for the new year that's to come. We thank you for the celebration. We thank you for coffee. Thank you for tea. Most importantly, we thank you for, Lord, your son, Jesus, and our friends and our family. Bless us as we go on our way in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Have wonderful fellowship. God bless you.